There we go. Now you can maybe hear me. Uh, so it's great to be here. Uh, my name is Crawford. It's my first name. My last name is Paul. And uh, my wife Beth is here with me today, which I'm very thankful for. We are from St. Catharines. We live in St. Catharines, uh, Ontario, which is not that far. And uh, we fellowship at Thorold South Gospel Chapel. And we are in the process of building a new building, which is a very large undertaking. Uh, we're about halfway through it. We've got the outside all done and most of the drywall. Lord willing, in the spring or summer, we will move uh, into the new building officially and take residence there as our new uh, assembly home. Uh, but it's been a wonderful experience. Um, the Lord is good and uh, he's blessing. We're actually very similar, I think, in a lot of ways uh, to you here, about the same numbers and same kind of, I don't know, atmosphere, which I, I think is really warm and inviting. And, uh, you know, the Lord, I can sense the Lord is here, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. I was thinking as our brother and sister were sharing on their report about, about uh, the Lord and expressing the Lord to others, he is pretty easy to make great, is he not? Amen. Like he is, he is a wonderful God. He's a great God. And we thought of that this morning in the Lord's Supper and how great he is. It doesn't take a lot to make him great to others. It's really just living our lives uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit on us to live a life that reflects him. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And VG, when he asked me to speak, and of course this being the first Sunday of December, I said, well, do you have something in mind that you want me to share? And he said, well, something Christmassy. So this is my attempt here at a a good Christmas message. Uh, It's not going to be anything too detailed, and I'm sure there won't be anything too new uh, about it. But I just want to share a couple of thoughts from this chapter and some thoughts from the Word of God that the Lord has been laying on my heart. Uh, I love Christmas. Uh, Christmas is a wonderful time of year, and I don't know how you celebrated Christmas, or if you did in your family. Uh, In my family, Christmas was a big thing. Uh, We did the whole thing from the tree to the tinsel to, I don't know, we're a Scottish family, so we did these crackers. You guys are familiar with pulling crackers? Some people look at me like, what are you talking about when I say that? But we had the crackers, we had the the turkey and the stuffing and everything else that went with it. So Christmas was a fun time, a good time of the year, and I, I still really enjoy it, and uh, especially the, the turkey and the gravy, uh, which we get, uh, we get, of course, at Thanksgiving too, but it's a great time of year, but it's also a time of year when people are maybe a little more open to thinking about God. George Harrison, who was one of the Beatles, He said this, everything else can wait, but the search for God cannot wait. Everything else can wait, but the search for God cannot wait. If we're honest with ourselves, he is the most important thing. Well, he's a person, but when we think about Christianity and the gospel, it's the most important thing we can search after, and he is the most important thing that we can search after. And at this time of year, many people are a little more open to thinking about God and to thinking about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. I talked to a friend of mine a number of years ago. His name is Alex. 
And his idea of Jesus, he said this, Jesus came to die for an idea and a new philosophy. Do you believe that's true? That the Lord Jesus Christ just came to die for an idea or a new philosophy? Why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is it important at all? And I'd like to think of a few things as we read. We're not going to read this whole chapter or big chunks of it. We're just going to pull out some verses as we go along. And uh, I'll have to watch the clock back there. Hopefully your clock is not as fast as ours in Thorold South, but uh, we'll, we'll finish on time, as I know you've got lots of stuff going on today. You know, there's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, the opening of, of the two testaments. Malachi, 400 years. Now, that's an amazing thing when you think about Israel, because all along, and we read it this morning from Hebrews chapter 1, that God sent his prophets. He spoke to the nation of Israel time and time again. He spoke to them in many different ways and at different times. But here, 400 years passes by and not a single word from heaven. Heaven is silent. And we see that the the nation of Israel was at a time maybe when they were at their darkest moment. And God's not talking. He's not speaking to them. And, you know, the world might look dark and we might say, where's God in all of this? Right? We, it's pretty, pretty disastrous what we're seeing happening in the world today. And we might look up and say, where is God? He's not speaking from heaven. Where is he? And people say that. How can God be, how can God exist when we see all this destruction around us? And the nation of Israel, 400 years went by and nothing from heaven. But then we have this amazing proclamation And we'll just look at a couple of verses in chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Do not be afraid. And then just down to verse 30. Speaking to Mary, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then over to chapter 2 and verse 9. Behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, that's the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. You know, as I was reading this, the Lord really brought this out to me. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Do not be afraid. If we're to be honest, and we were to put one word that characterizes the world today, it's fear. I I talked to a lady just this past week. She said, I even wonder if I should go to the mall at Christmas time to do my shopping. Because maybe around the next hallway there's a bomb or someone with a gun. This world is gripped with fear. But the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of Christmas, is do not be afraid. We do not need to fear. Why? Let's read on in verse uh, 10. I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Do not be afraid. Why? Because there's a Savior that's come. And that's what the world needs today. The world needs a Savior. That's the message of Christmas. Just turn back. Keep your finger there and turn back to the book of Lamentations which might be hard for some of us to find. Lamentations chapter 3. I was reading this passage, or reading through the book of Lamentations this week, and uh, this verse in chapter 3 jumped out to me. Because Lamentations is pretty much about the dark days of Israel. Uh, You read this, it's not a very happy book. right? Lamentations means crying or wailing or, or, or pleading. It's not the most uh, upbeat book. You don't want to go here necessarily when you're feeling down. However, in the middle of all of this darkness, in the middle of all this turmoil that's going on, in chapter 3 and verse 55, Jeremiah is the writer, and he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called you, and said, do not fear. Do not be afraid. In the midst of darkness, brothers and sisters, friends, and I don't know almost all of you here. Uh, I've only met a few of you. I don't know where you stand before God. I don't know if your world is in complete, a complete mess. I don't know if your life is falling apart. I don't know. I don't know if it's in darkness or not. But I know this, that the Lord Jesus Christ would say to you today, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because he has provided salvation. He has provided a way of escape. One more verse before we get into this, uh, into this Luke chapter. Hebrews chapter 2, and we read a little bit from Hebrews uh, or in the previous meeting. But Hebrews chapter 2 gives us one of the most, I think think it's an exciting verse. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says this, And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That His power frees us from death so that we who were afraid of death, and let's face it, you talk to anyone on the street today, they don't want to die. They're afraid of death. People are fearful of what is beyond. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, I've come to release you from that. I've come to set you free from that fear so that you would not fear any longer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to our fears. The Lord Jesus Christ came. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, is a, he's an amazing person. We've been studying the book of Mark in a home study that we're having. And uh, we're just seeing so many wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when he calms the waves and the, and the storm in, in chapter 4, is it? They say, who is this guy? It could be translated, where did he come from? He's not from planet Earth. Where is he from? What kind of man is this? The Lord Jesus Christ 
is an amazing person. And Paul would later go on to say, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Great is this mystery. This baby that was born, this baby that we celebrate at Christmas time, he's the Son of God. He's the living God who created all things. He's fully God and fully man. It's not one or the other. It's not, well, he's fully God, but he's a bit man. He's partly man. Or he's, most, he's fully man, but he's somewhat God. No, he's fully God and he's fully man. God is immortal. And yet, think about this. Jesus died. Can, we, can you wrap your head around that? God is immortal. He's eternal. Cannot die. That's really the essence. And yet Jesus died. We don't quite understand. We can't wrap our minds around what that actually means. But that's the truth and the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. A light is beginning to shine. As we look into Luke chapter 1, a light is beginning to shine in the world. It's interesting that we have this angel who appears to a few individuals. We've got Zacharias and Mary and Joseph. And then we read about the shepherds, who they appear to a larger group, the angels. And we sing this, angels we have heard on high, right, as they meet before the shepherds. So they start and they appear just to a few. And then to the shepherds, a larger group. And then, it says, a great light has come to men, mankind. Light is shining. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the incomparable light. Just as a little side, I found this interesting. I don't know if you pull things out when you read, but uh, an angel appears to Zacharias and to Elizabeth and to the shepherds, and they actually appear before them, and they say, do not be afraid. But when, when Gabriel appears to, Ma- to Joseph in Matthew, it's in a dream. It's not right there. So he's in a dream, and the angel comes and talks to Ma- uh, Joseph in a dream, and he doesn't say, do not be afraid. It's the only time that an angel doesn't say that. I find that interesting. Maybe you've got some theological uh, ex- explanation for it. But I find it interesting when, could you imagine seeing an angel? I think I'd be afraid. Right? Here's, and especially after 400 years, nobody had seen an angel. Nobody alive at the time had been spoken to by God that we know of. And all of a sudden, there's an angel. Right? And they were afraid. Mary was afraid. Zacharias was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Here's this angel. Angels are messengers from God, right from heaven's throne. In fact, uh, Gabriel says that to, to Zacharias. I have come after standing in the throne room of heaven. That must have been an awesome experience. And they say, do not be afraid. What's this message that this light has come into the world? This light has come. Now, let's look over at chapter 3. And I apologize if uh, this is going fast here, but I'd like to get through these. Chapter 3, verse 1 Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, with Annas and Caiaphas, were high priests. That's a mouthful. Seven men that are recorded here. And it takes one and a half verses. Seven men... One and a half verses. These are the men 
that the world would say are important. These are the regional kings, if you will, and the high priests and the people in political and religious power. And it, God says about them, it takes one and a half verses to record their existence. But then he goes on and for over 200 verses, he talks about his seven. There's seven people surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, John the Baptist, Anna, and Simeon. And God takes 200 verses to speak about them. That tells me something. It tells me that God has his people. And they're important to him. The world have theirs. Right? We can think about the Obamas of the world and, and the Putins of the world and all these people that are in the news today. The world have their leaders. God has his people. And you know what? You and I are his people. You and I are part of the work that he's doing in the world. And he's far more interested in us, in our lives, than he is in the systems of the world. Satan, he, when he went to the Lord Jesus Christ, remember in his temptation, it says in a moment of time he showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Just a moment of time. You know, it's going to take a, a long time in eternity to be shown all of the wonders of the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. I love this verse in Ephesians. It says that the church for all the eternal ages to come will be the trophy of God's grace. Right? We are going to be the exhibit, if you will, on display for all of God's grace for all of eternity. That's what God thinks of his people. He loves his people and he loves to encourage them and build them up. He cares about the lowest things. Right? Just a teenage girl, carpenter, right? this lowly priest and his wife. John the Baptist was a nobody as far as the world was concerned. He was out in the desert. But God takes the low things and he makes great things happen through them. Let's go back to chapter 1. I love this verse here about John the Baptist. Uh, and this is the angel speaking to Zacharias about his son, John, who would be born. It says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. This one who is to come, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, he was going to be considered great. But in whose eyes? In the sight of the Lord. As I was reading this, it really struck out to me, who do I care about watching me? Who do I care about? Do I care about you watching me and analyzing me and saying, wow, wasn't he great? Right? I mean, people that speak uh, on any kind of regular basis, we struggle with this. Right? We all want to do well. Right? Do we want everyone to say, wow, that was just so amazing? Or do we want the Lord to consider that we're great? Do we want His value placed on us? Or are we looking for the praise of others? The, the Lord's sight is the only sight that is important. The great Bob Hartman from Petra, I don't know if any of you remember Petra from the old days, he wrote this, I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of men than a fool in the eyes of God. That's so true. right? John the Baptist who was going to be looked on by the world as this crazy guy. Right? He was out there in the desert. He was dressed in camel's hair and eating weird food. And he was out preaching this, this vigilant gospel of repentance. He was going to be looked on as this nutcase. But as far as God was concerned, he would be 
great. But I want you to notice a contrast here in verse 32 of chapter 1. Now speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel says, He will be great. End of story. Not just He will be great in the sight of the Lord, or He will be great in the sight of the people. He's just simply great. Right? He is awesome. He is the one who came from heaven's throne. That's what I just, you know, I love, one part of the reason I love this time of year is because we think about where he came from. He was sitting on the throne of heaven. The angels did what he commanded. And now he's here in a form of a baby, right? He's in human flesh. But the angel says to Mary, he's just simply great. He will be great. Unlike John the Baptist, whose greatness came from the Lord, he wasn't great in and of himself. You and I are not great in and of ourselves. We need the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ himself is great. Who are we striving for? Who are we living for? If we can take some practical applications from the Christmas story, who are we living for today? Are we living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we living for his praise and his honor Or are we living for the praise of men? You know, the Lord was the greatest example of this. In John 13, one of my favorite passages, he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. And Peter rightfully said, why are you washing my feet? You're the Messiah. You're the one who's come to save us, and you're going to wash my feet? No way, Lord. And I might have had that same reaction too. Not me, Lord. And he says, but if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to serve. He came to be the servant of all. That's an amazing thing, how great he is. I want you to look at just a couple of verses further on. In uh, chapter 1, verse 16, again, speaking of John the Baptist, it says, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, I love this verse because it tells me that John the Baptist, in the power of God, was, had an impact, a positive impact on the lives of others. He was able, by his life and his testimony, to turn many to God. And that's really what we are called to do. We're called to live lives that would turn others toward the Lord. I think about Daniel and his three friends in the book of Daniel. right? Just teenagers. And yet they turned a whole kingdom towards God. They turned a king, Nebuchadnezzar, eventually towards God. And yet they're just teenagers. And so often, I know you might feel this way, but I feel like, well, what can I do, Lord? Who am I? Right? We see that throughout the Old, the Old Testament. People said over and over again, who am I? How can I do these great things? Moses and Gideon and Abraham. What do I have to offer the Lord? But the great news is God has... Everything has someone for everything to do. You have a purpose. You have something that God wants you to do. There's no such thing as a useless Christian. Right? God has a plan for your life and a plan for my life. Twelve disciples turned the world upside down. Right? God chooses the few. He chooses the weak to do the great things for Him in the world. Let's go back uh, to verse 6 in chapter 1. And here we see a little bit about Zacharias and Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're just kind of pulling some things out about these individuals around the Lord's birth. 
and uh, making some applications. Verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They were obedient. They were obedient to the things of God. And they, in turn, ended up doing great things. And I would suggest to you that obedience is the first place that we start. If we want to do great things for God, it's going to require obedience. Remember the story of Shammah in the Old Testament? If you don't recall that story, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and King David has this field of lentils. Now, you don't have to put up your hand, but would you give your life for a field of lentils? Would you risk your life to save some beans? I don't think I would. I might. I would like to think that I would. But here's Shammah, and he's told by David, defend this field. He's not told why. He's not told the importance. Just that David, the king, has asked him to defend it. And then the army comes against him. thousand men, I can't remember the exact number, come against Shammah. And he's got his sword. And he's ready to die for that field. Why? Because the field meant something to him? No. But because David meant something to him. David was his king. And David had given this command and he was ready to defend. And he does defend it. And he defeats the army by himself. And it says that he was, he was holding on to his sword so long and so tight that he couldn't let go of it. His hand had clung around that sword. Of course, great lessons there about the word of God and lots of things we can take out of that. But here were Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were simply obeying what the Lord had told them to do. And out of this comes a great lesson and a great application for us. Are we willing to surrender our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done? We sing this song, I Surrender All. You know, it's great to sing hymns, it's great to sing songs, but do we really think about what we're singing? I surrender all, everything that you have, everything that you are, your marriage, your family, your work, your status in the community, whatever it might be, do you surrender it all to the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything that you are to Him? We sing it so easily, but do we really think about what we're singing and put it into practice in our lives? They were walking already in the will of God, and then God called them to a purpose. And the truth is simple. We will never be called into God's work if we're not walking in His ways. He just, won't, he just won't do it. He won't call us into His service if we are not walking in His ways. Let's go on and think of a couple of other thoughts here from this particular chapter. I'm just going to find my note here. I wrote too many things down. Okay, here we go. So, verse 26 of chapter 1. Verse 26. And this is speaking now about Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, I find it interesting that the name Mary is not mentioned in Mark or John. It's only mentioned, the Lord's, now, the Lord's earthly mother Mary is mentioned in John, but her name's not. We know in the wedding of, of Cana, Galilee, 
It's men, it, she's mentioned, but her name is not mentioned. Only in Matthew and in Luke, where we hear about the story of the Lord's birth. Not in Mark or John. I find that really interesting. Uh, we, I'm sure you've heard this before, but uh, Mark is the servant's gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ portrayed as a servant. Nobody cares about the family of a servant. They were just the lowest of the low. right? Who cares who your family is? doesn't matter. And John is the son of God's gospel, right? It's the Lord Jesus Christ as the son of God, and he has no family in that sense. God does not have a father or mother. And so we don't hear of Mary in those gospels. Yet we have the king and the man, right? Matthew and Luke, and the lineage is mentioned. Because we care about where a king comes from. Remember that whole thing down in the States with Obama? Does he have a birth certificate? Does he not have a birth certificate? Was he really born in the States? They, people care. People care about where kings and rulers come from. And as a man, he had to have a lineage. And it goes all the way back to Adam in, in, the, in the book of Luke, his genealogy. But here we have this simple little thought that Mary is not mentioned in Mark or in John, but she's mentioned here. And there's only one prophecy in the Word of God about her. That's found back in Isaiah 7, which we won't take time to read. It says here that, that uh, she was a virgin who was to be married to Joseph. Now, I was thinking about this idea that God was born, the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Does it matter to us that he was born of a virgin? Does it matter? It does matter. In fact, it's one of the foundational pillars of our faith. If the Lord Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, then he was under Adam's curse. He was under the bloodline of Adam if he came through Joseph. That's a big deal because it means he had sin in him, that he was born a sinner. And that is not possible for God to be born with sin. Now, we can try to understand this, and I've, I've had discussions with people uh, and they say, well, you know, how is that even possible? She was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit came upon her. What, is, I mean, what does that even mean? How did that even happen? Listen, we can't put this under a microscope. We can't go into a science lab and figure this out. This is a supernatural event. And it's part of our faith. We believe that this happened by faith. That the Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived. Let's not try to figure it out. We won't be able to. We won't be able to put an explanation around this other than that she was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then it says here that, that she was highly favored. Look at verse 28. Uh, Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now let's be very careful to Scripture. Mary is not sinless. Right? She is not sinless. She is just like you and I. She was just like you and I. She had sin in her life. She was not perfect. She had all kinds of things that would go on in her heart and in her life. But she was blessed by God. And she was chosen by God. And she had favor of God. But she was not sinless. And she was not perfect. She needed a Savior just like you and I. In fact, she calls the Lord Jesus her Savior. Well, if somebody's sinless, they don't need a Savior. And Mary was just like you and I in every way. Now let's think of uh, verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name 
Jesus. What a great name. Right? Jesus, name above all names, we sing it. It's a great name. I love the name of Jesus. The world doesn't. The world treats it with disrespect. The world would spit on that name. The world would mistreat it and misuse it, and they do. They take the Lord's name in vain all the time. And they treat it as if it's some kind of a curse word. But to you and I, it should be a precious name. You and I, to you and I, it should mean something to us. It's the name of his humanity. That he was born, and he, they called him Jesus. The name of his humanity. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is speaking, and they say of this man that was healed, and they say, by whose name did you heal this man? And this is what he said, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the most powerful name in all of the universe. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. It's a powerful name. It means something to God, and it should mean something to us. I want to just think about a couple of other examples of this name, and I'll just read them here. I won't, we won't actually look at them. It's the name of his crucifixion. Remember the sign that was put over his, on the cross? This is Jesus of Nazareth. It was the name of his resurrection. When he met with the disciples, he says, I am Jesus. And he met with Paul, and he says, I am Jesus. It's the name of his ascension. When he was being taken up, the angel says, this same Jesus. Right? It's the name of his ascension. The name of his supremacy, we've already, I already mentioned that, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. It's the name of his return. Even so, come Lord Jesus. It's an important name. It should be important to us. It's the greatest name of all. Now, we just have five minutes left, and I want to just think about four things, and we'll just do them very quickly. Why did Jesus come? And I don't want to pull this from our own thinking, our, our own understanding. I'd like to see exactly what the Scripture says, and most of this comes from the Lord himself. In Luke chapter 5, if we just go over a couple of uh, chapters, Luke chapter 5 and 31... This is the Lord speaking, and he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Lord came to call sinners to repentance. I'm so glad that verse is there. I'm so glad that the Lord came for sinners, because I qualify. I think you qualify too. We're all sinners, we're all, we all know the mistakes and the failures that we have done. Right? We don't even live up, live up to our own expectations most of the time. Right? We disappoint ourselves most of the time, or a lot of the time. Far less other people. We hurt other people. It's just part of who we are. We're born in sin, and sin is a part of our lives. But the Lord came to this earth to save sinners. And to call sinners to repentance. That means turning around and going the other way. It means acknowledging, yes, this is the course of my life. It's not what you want from me. I have sinned. You're the Savior, Lord Jesus. And turning around. Have you ever been a part of a ship or a boat that's turned around? Right? We were, on, we were in Scotland not in, in August. And we went on this, uh, this boat cruise around 
uh, the east side of, of the west side of Scotland. And we went up and, of course, it doesn't go from one port to the other in these little cruises. It's got to go back to where we started. So we went out and we did this turnaround. And as we turned around, there was this little uh, island-type place uh, where there was a bunch of seals just lying out there, right? And we went around the one side and we turned around. And on the other side, we couldn't see the seals any longer. There was a difference when we turned around. It's a simple application that when we turn around our lives and we repent, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge our sin, and we say, I've got a new life, I've got a new direction, then the old things are behind us. We don't look to them anymore. We don't see them. We don't go back to those things. We press forward as we turn around for the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 18, I'll just read it here. The Son of Man has come to save those who are lost. We were all lost at one time. A number of years ago when I was about 10, so that's quite a few years ago when I was 10, uh, my family were visiting here in Toronto uh, at the Science Centre. The Ontario and it was a huge place, right? Lots of commotion, lots of people, lots of different rooms and places to go. And I got lost. I was 10 years old. Got, got misplaced from my family, and I was lost. Now, I felt the terror of that at 10 years old. I was scared. There's hundreds of people there. I didn't know where my family was. Eventually, I, caught, uh, I noticed that there was uh, one of the workers there, and I went up to the worker and said, I'm lost. They took me up to the information booth and over the loudspeaker. You know, my name is announced. If you're this person, kid's parents, come to the information booth and, and get them. And eventually I was found. Right? I, I, I was reunited with my family. But what's the Lord saying here? We were lost. We were, when Adam sinned, we were lost. Gone. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to find us. And there's lots of great things we could think about that. John 10, verse 10, I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Not just more life. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want more life. Life is taxes and, and uh, heartache and car accidents and you know, work and lots of things that we do. That's life. Life has good things too. But he says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's the quality of life. And, and yes, we're looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven. I know my eternal destiny is secure and safe, but I also have hope in this life. I also have security in this life. I also have the Lord with me every day in this life. He's not just giving me more life. He's given me more abundant life, life that is found in Him. And then Mark chapter 10, the Lord says, Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know what's interesting, brothers and sisters, is that in the epistles, they tell us to do the same thing. They say, you give your life as well. First for the Lord, to the Lord, right? Surrendering, we give our whole lives to the Lord. But not only that, we are to give our lives for each other. And as I think about the church, which is really where my heart is, my passion is when I study, I love studying about the church and things about the church, Unity can only take place in the church when we are sacrificing ourselves for each other. That might mean a phone call late at night, right? It might mean that somebody is in need and we are the ones, we go and fill that need, right? Sacrificing means I'm giving up something in order to do something else. 
So when we sacrifice for one another, it means I'm choosing to put myself less, second. And I'm choosing to put someone else first. That's the heart of the church. That's the heart of being unified together, is that we're putting others first. Why did he come? He came to save sinners. He came to seek the lost. He came to give life more abundantly. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to close by reading uh, a thing that my friend wrote and put it on Facebook yesterday. And uh, I'll just pull it up here. And I just want to close by making this challenge. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? I hope you do. And if not, will you come to Him today? Seek Him out. He is the only Savior for our souls. We'll just read this and then close in prayer. Thanks for listening so well. This is my friend Mike. He says, Looking at the news, we can all admit that there is a major problem in our world. Some have blamed Muslims, some have blamed black people, some have blamed the whites, some have blamed the police, some have blamed the government, some have blamed all religions. But the Bible tells us sin is the problem. In an effort to fix this sin problem, we continue to try and better educate, better govern, and better medicate our society. Unfortunately, it's not working. A better government, a better education system, and more medication will not fix our world. There is only one way to fix the problem. The solution to our sin problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. That's from Colossians 1.22. This world will keep getting worse, but now is your chance and opportunity to fix your own problem of sin. Recognize that the only way we can fix sin is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Isn't that great? So I hope today that you have fixed the sin problem in your life. Come to the Lord, accepted Him as Savior, and turned around. Now you're headed in a different direction, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus. We thank You that He came. We thank You that He was born, as we remember at this time of year, in a manger in Bethlehem. That He lived a perfect life sinless in every way, that he showed compassion and care to people as he ministered to them. But we thank you that he died on a cross. We know that there is sin that has plagued us in our lives, that separated us from you, and yet by coming to you, we can have forgiveness of our sins. We thank you so much for being our Savior, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. We thank you that you are alive today and seated at the Father's right hand. We thank you that you're coming back. Maybe today you'll take us home to be with you forever and forever. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening so well.